So I'd like to start this evening's talk with a poem uh, by Nyoshul Kempo Rinpoche. And the way I'd like you to listen to this poem is actually with your eyes closed and your attention inward. Because what he has to say in this poem is really what I'm hoping will be the essence of this talk. So I want you to listen for the essence of what he's pointing to. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thought, like the restless fury of the pounding waves and the infinite ocean of samsara. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thought, like the restless fury of the pounding waves and the infinite ocean of samsara. It's hard to rest this mind. It's hard to rest. He's pointing to this neurotic mind that seems sometimes when we come on retreat, especially if we're new to retreat, especially at the very beginning of any retreat, this mind feels like it's being pounded by these these waves of neurotic thought. It can feel really relentless at times. And yet we're asking you to settle, to rest. Last night, James talked about resting or relaxing as one of the key ways to uh, practice. And when, when he says relax, or when I say relax, we don't mean that in any kind of superficial way. We're talking about or pointing to a deep resting of the mind, that there's a capacity for that. But it can seem uh, the furthest thing from reality when we're sitting here and we're in those... Uh, Uh, difficult mind states. So many of you, um, it took a lot for you to get here. Uh, I imagine a lot of you had to tie up some work things uh, to take this week off. Uh, Some of you have school stuff you had to take care of. There's relationships. There's pets. Um, You had to get here somehow. You either drove or flew. It may have been really complicated. Most of us live our lives uh, 100 miles per hour. And then we get here and we stop. (laughs) We come to a crawl. And there's a huge adjustment that has to happen to be able to um, settle into that incredible change. Many of you in the interviews today actually talked about just the renunciation piece, renouncing uh, your cell phones or your iPads or whatever it was, the technology that you had to give up, and how hard that was to give away that thing that is such an easy go-to for distraction. Maybe it's even a go-to to feel a little more connected but ultimately some kind of distraction. 
Or maybe it's something else that you've had to let go of just to be here talking. Just being able to communicate with the people you know or um, the people you run into, the people here. That's just not even available to be able to engage in that way. And so many of you talked about how hard that was, but at the same time, we're really understanding the purpose of it. You could see that it was all there to support this going inward and this settling that um, is happening. And yet, within that, that transition period, you know, we're asking you to uh, pay attention to all that's going on in here. And so we're willing to do that. You're here, so you're willing to do that. But it's, it's really not easy. It can be such a challenge at times. And I know some of you are, are having times of real peace and quiet and clarity. So there's that too. But my guess is that there's also a lot of difficulty happening. And so there's, um, I know that when I've sat, early on in my practice when I would sit retreat or go to a day long or have some kind of interaction with a teacher and I would listen to the teachings or I would listen to advice from the teacher, really all I really wanted them to tell me was, how do I get this to stop? (laughs) Just what's the magic? Whatever I need to do, I'll do it. Just tell me what it is, I'll do it. And don't you want that? (laughs) Wouldn't you like me to give you that secret teaching? Wouldn't you like to know that one thing, or even several things that you could do to get rid of the body discomfort, uh, the mental chatter, the difficult emotions coming up, uh, the fear, the doubt, the sadness that comes in. Wouldn't you love that one thing that you could do to get rid of all that? Isn't that kind of why we're here, (laughs) is to lessen all of that? And so because of that, we get this understanding or this relationship with the difficulty that it's, it's in the way. You know, I need to get past it so I can get on with my enlightenment process here. Once that's over, once I settle in and this all calms down, then I can begin. And that's really understandable, but it's wrong. (laughs) Because all of this is part of our practice. Nothing gets left out. You're in the process right now. You're on the path right now. This is the special teaching. All these moments of difficulty and all these moments of overcoming the difficulty. It's all part of your awakening process. So there's nothing that we're teaching you here that deletes this uh, from your life in an easy way. Because without it, actually, uh, without the dukkha, without the suffering, without taking time to turn towards it and really understand it, without it teaching us what we need to know, there is no awakening. There is no process. There's no uh, 
There is no need for a path. This practice of mindfulness, mindfulness, that word is used a lot. Now it's become really popularized. Um, but basically, in this, in this form, mindfulness is paying attention to what's happening right now. And it's paying attention in a way uh, that allows us to know what's being known in this moment. This is mindfulness. And nowhere in that definition does it say that it has to be peaceful or pleasant, enjoyable, blissful, that the body has to be still, that the mind needs to be still. All of it gets included. So the different sounds that arise, the quiet that arises, it can all be held in mindfulness. The different mind states, you know, our moments where we feel happiness, the moments where we feel sadness, the moments where we feel confusion, the moments where we feel more clear, we know we're clear. The times where there is uh, body discomfort, the times where our body feels really good, all of it is included. Mindfulness excludes nothing. It includes everything. We're here to pay attention to the whole breadth of the human experience. Nothing gets left out. And upon hearing that, maybe it's a relief. Like, you're doing it. (laughs) Whatever has come up today and you paid attention to and were present for it, you're you're there. You're, You're practicing mindfulness whether it was pleasant or unpleasant. So for some, maybe that's bad news. (laughs) If you were hoping uh, otherwise, that you were hoping that maybe we won't have to deal with all this stuff, all this unpleasant. But take heart that um, it's through this that we become fuller human beings. We begin to understand ourselves so much better. It's actually what we want. It's counterintuitive, but it is really what we want. We want to be with all of this experience so that we can be fuller, happier people. The purpose of mindfulness is not mindfulness itself. It's to be able to create a space for understanding. And with that understanding comes wisdom. So the purpose of mindfulness is to create more wisdom, more understanding. And then through that wisdom and seeing, well, this is how life works. This is how life is moving through me in this moment. This is actually what's going on, not this kind of entangled idea of what's true right now. It's understanding this that then there's wisdom and then compassion, empathy that's developed. So we're practicing in this way to develop compassion and wisdom.
So how do we hold all of this? How do we stay with all of this? Uh, James last night uh, talked about uh, relaxation, interest, and kindness. Uh, I want to say more about each one of these things, but I want to also acknowledge how counterintuitive that that can be to go towards those things when we're practicing. So often if we see a problem within our experience, within our practice, um, we usually have some kind of habit of working with it. A habit that doesn't just develop here on retreat. It's usually a habit that comes out of uh, our daily life. It's something really familiar as far as how we work with our difficulties. Uh, so it might be ignoring it or shutting down to it, you know, just kind of um, uh, not dealing with it at all. That's one, one way uh, we might respond habitually to our difficulties. It might be to attack it with um, an arsenal of self-judgment um, or maybe blame. That might be our habit. It might be going into fix-it mode got to fix this, got to get through this. And there's nothing, I don't know, all of these things are really understandable. We probably learned our habits uh, at a young age and maybe from the people around us. And in some sweet way, they've maybe even taken care of us at certain times where we just couldn't quite uh, find our way. So there's something kind of sweet in our habits but they're old habits, and they are probably not helpful anymore. And so here we are trying to create new habits, but it is counterintuitive. So what we're trying to do instead of these habits is actually stay steady with whatever it is that arises, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. We are asking you in this practice to turn your attention towards, to turn towards whatever it is, whether it's difficult or boring, uh, uninteresting in the moment, um, or perhaps it is really pleasant and um, maybe there's the feeling of happiness to give it the attention that it needs. To turn towards whatever it is and stay steady with it. Stay there with it. This is a poem by Wendell Berry um, where he really speaks to this idea of uh, turning towards uh, more of the difficult that can arise. He says, When despair grows in me and I wake in the night with the last sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lay down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great horn heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought or grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting for their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world, and I am free. So this idea that even in the moments that are really challenging, 
that if we can turn towards it with our attention, this is what's happening. Uh, um, Restlessness, being known right now. Sadness, grief, being known right now. Uh, Anger, being known right now. Body aches, sleepiness, confusion, doubt, being known right now. This is what's being known right now. If we can turn towards it, and in some way, in this, um, in a deep way, somewhere within us uh, that knows better, the part of us that has uh, wisdom of past practice, of a life lived, that knows that there's some way we can rest, we can relax around that difficulty. We can relax into the moment. We can soften in some way. Uh, Another word might be allow, to allow ourselves to be with whatever it is that's here. And that's difficulty, but it's also uh, the moments that are not difficult. Giving yourself the time, not rushing to the next thing, or uh, being so focused on finding the difficult, Are anyone like that here where you're always looking for what's wrong (laughs) and we kind of miss what's going really well? So giving ourselves time to relax into this is going really well. (laughs) Not trying to add anything to it or hang on to it when that happens, but just, oh, wow, that's nice. And being here with it, staying with it. So one way that I like to think of this, uh, this deep resting, you can close your eyes for this, it's just a way of visualizing and actually getting a sense in the body of what this, this relaxation is. And you can imagine yourself uh, stepping into a, a stream. It's hot outside, so it's cool in the stream. You're happy to be there, it's refreshing. The water is clean. The pace of the water um, is really mellow. If you're not a great swimmer, this is uh, buoyant salt water. (laughs) You will not drown. And instead of treading the water, you can actually imagine yourself treading this water. It's just a little bit too deep to stand. And imagine that feeling of treading water. You're confident you can do it. You can keep your head above water, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. There's a lot of doing, a lot of trying. And then imagine just allowing your body to lean back into that cool, refreshing water. And you lean all the way back and relax the muscles, and the water supports you. And you can feel that cool water on your body. You can feel your breath. You can hear the birds. You can hear the rustling of leaves. And there's that deep sense of peace and presence. This is, this is the feeling of resting into the moment 
And maybe there's actually a time that in your own life that you've had, maybe somewhere in nature or with a dear friend or even just the comfort of your own bed after being away for a while. And you get in and you lay back and it's your pillow and your comforter and it's warm and cozy and your whole body can just release and be there. And you don't want to be anywhere else but there. And it's just enough. This deep resting. Now, now that I have you there, hopefully, imagine some version of this, some version of this ability to rest when something difficult is going on something you wish wasn't happening. Maybe you're going through a deep loss or a challenging change in your life or a lot of confusion. Imagine being able to hold that with this same openness and acceptance, this allowance of the mind and the body saying, yes, this too is here and I can be here for it. This is the possibility of this practice. Another way that I like to practice this deep resting or relaxing when there's something really difficult going on is I like to find it in the body and just see if it's manifesting. Sometimes it manifests as a... um, like a rock right in the chest or in the stomach or I'll feel it up in my shoulders and my neck. Maybe there's a very familiar place for you in your body where these difficulties arise. And instead of going straight to the heart of it and feeling like, well, that's where I need to put my attention, uh, imagine putting your attention and Uh, intending for that relaxation or that um, uh, relaxing, imagine it kind of on the periphery, not needing to go straight into the heart of the difficulty, but rather relaxing around the difficulty, relaxing around uh, the emotion, or maybe even the mind state, if you can think of a way that that would work. It makes whatever it is a little bit more manageable. It allows for that deep wisdom that can hold it bigger than the problem itself, bigger than the dukkha. So ultimately, However we hold it, and actually through the week, we'll probably give you different ideas on how to be with the challenges that arise, not just here on retreat, but just in our daily life. But whatever the technique is, ultimately, we're getting to know what it is. We're becoming uh, intimately connected with whatever that difficulty is. Um, we're getting interested. So this was the the second um, way of practicing that 
James offered uh, last night, getting really curious about, well, what is this exactly? Uh, Being fascinated by what we're discovering. And we can do this in a lot of different ways. We can look into the body again and just see, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. This is... uh, this is oh, ecstatic joy that's arising. Wow, it's huge. Sometimes that kind of, of joy and happiness can feel a little too big for the quietness of spirit rock. <laughs> but we can still be with it. And, oh, it feels like this in the body. It feels like this in the mind. It's doing this to my thoughts. Uh, it's... Um, really pleasant and yet there's something because it's so big that might be a little uncomfortable there's a little mix of pleasant and unpleasant wow this is really interesting we can be there with it get curious about it we can do that with the difficulty oh this is this is a little bit of sadness I know it's sadness I feel it Kind of in my, in my chest here, it feels really heavy here. I feel emotion arising. I can feel the crying that wants to happen. It's doing, my mind feels kind of muddled. There's a lot of negative, sad thoughts that are coming through because of it. Oh, this is sadness being known. Another way of exploring uh, our mind states, especially when it's difficult, is to see if there are any hindrances arising. So in the Buddhist tradition, there are these classical hindrances that if, even if you've never heard these before, I promise you're probably very familiar with them just as a human being. This is just part of the human experience are these hindrances. And what they're hindering is our ability to see clearly. They hinder our mindfulness They hinder um, uh, our wisdom. So the classical hindrances are uh, desire. So this is a wanting. So wanting in the mind, it wants something that's not here. Or it wants more of something that's, that's here. Desire. It's a distraction. It's your cell phone, <laughs> or the wanting for your cell phone. Uh, it's the... I don't know, wanting for uh, more warmth or sun today. It's um, a wanting for somebody who's not here. It's wanting, wanting for comfort, wanting for something. Kind of the reverse of that, although they're very related and often come together, is aversion. I don't want. I don't want what's here. This thing is arising. I don't want it. I'm noticing this in my experience. It's uh, so unpleasant. I want to get rid of it. What do I need to do to get rid of this? Or uh, it might not be internal. It might be external. Uh, A certain sound. Or maybe someone reminds you of somebody. I just, I I don't like it. I don't want it. Aversion. So this pull and this push energy in the mind. Again, um, make it very hard to see clearly. 
when these are present. But we can notice them. We can call them out. Oh, this is desire that's happening. Oh, it's just desire. Oh, it's just aversion right now. So we can start to become more familiar with them. Uh, The third one is restlessness. Sometimes it's restlessness and worry. Um, This could be restlessness in the body. It can manifest as restlessness in the body, but usually this is classically um, talking about a mind state of restlessness. So a mind that just won't settle. It's all over the place. It's spinning out. It's repetitive. Um, It just won't stay with whatever the object is. How many of you have had a restless mind in the, what, 24 hours that you've been here? Yeah. And how many of you, in those moments of restless mind, knew that it was a restless mind? Yeah. We don't see it. (laughs) These are blinding states. They're blinding so we get caught up in all the, oh, it just, won't, it just won't settle down, or get caught up in the story that's, that's unfolding in our mind. But we miss, oh, this is just restlessness. Oh, that's okay. That's not such a big deal. It's just restlessness. The other one that comes with this is, um, again, kind of an opposite, but related, is sloth and torpor. So, in other words, kind of that really sleepy mind, the sinking mind. Um, Again, I'm sure how many of you have experienced the the sinking, sleepy mind today? Yeah. Yep. Um, It dulls the mind. It can also be this disinterest in the mind. Just kind of like, eh, mm, bored, stupid, I don't really want to. I just want to get back into bed. (laughs) So that almost like a laziness in the mind, a laziness in our effort. But we miss it. We get down on ourselves. Oh, why can't I just get into this? Or... Everyone else is totally doing the practice, and I just, eh, I just can't really get into it. Or we fight the, the sleepiness. I have to stay awake. I have to stay awake. As we start doing the Vipassana nod, we don't have control over it, but we can get hard on ourselves. And we miss, oh, this is just sloth and torpor, or this is just sleepiness. This is just boredom. This is just some laziness. Oh, that's, that's not a big deal. That's okay. I can pay attention to that. That can be my object of mindfulness. The last one is doubt. And doubt is extra tricky, I find. Um, in the, uh, there's a, a series of similes that the Buddha offers in teaching the, um, the hindrances. And I think like a version, and they all have to do with a vessel like this, a vessel of water and how um, the water becomes disturbed or uh, in some way um, uh, 
uh, is made so that we can't see to the bottom. It becomes unclear. This water becomes unclear like our mind when the hindrances are present. And so, for example, I think desire is um, a series of dyes that are put in the water. And they're really pretty and we're distracted by them. And we, we don't see clearly into the water because of the distraction. Um, or aversion is the bubbling uh, of the water, that kind of seething uh, water, and we can't see clearly. So there's a series of these. And for doubt, uh, in doubt, not only is the water murky and we can't see through, but the whole vessel is in a dark room. We can't even see that it's there. And doubt works this way. It's so tricky. Usually there's a story of, I can't do this. Um, This isn't right for me. Uh, I'll never get this. I shouldn't have come. Those teachers don't know what they're talking about. Uh, I can't sustain myself on vegetarian diet. (laughs) Something like that. It starts with this story that sounds really reasonable. They're reasonable stories. They're believable. But they're an illusion. There's something that's covering up something else. Something that's usually um, based in a lot of fear or a lot of confusion. This is doubt. Um, I'll tell you a quick story of my own experience with doubt, uh, which uh, there was a period of my practice where It was like my constant companion. (laughs) And I was on a particular retreat where um, I called it, it was a month-long retreat. The first two weeks were pure hell. (laughs) Everything I was experiencing, I was aversive to. So uh, the food, it was not here, but it was a very similar retreat center. Great food hated everything that was being served. Um, There was snow on the ground, hated it. There was uh, a noisy practitioner, couldn't stand that person. Uh, We get up to do walking meditation, I hate walking meditation. Sit down to do sitting meditation, I hate the sitting meditation. This is, and I know as I'm going through this, I am very aware, oh my God, this is aversion. This is really intense aversion. The teachers, oh, I don't think I like these teachers. Oh, I don't think I like these teachings. Just unbelievable amount of aversion arising. I'm not really in control of it. It's just what was happening. And I had been practicing long enough to know how to be with it. But after two weeks of this, I went into my practice discussion with the teacher who I was not a fan of. (laughs) Um, I am now. (laughs) But at the time, couldn't stand, went in and just said, I just, I don't think I can do this anymore. I just don't think this practice is for me. I feel like something's gone wrong. I'm just in this hell hole. And uh, I don't seem to be able to get myself out. I feel like maybe I shouldn't be on this retreat right now. Like maybe... This isn't the right place for me. And she leaned forward and she said, you know, Kate, I think maybe this is doubt. 
And I thought about it, and I said, no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and was so sure she didn't know what she was talking about. And I left the, the interview, and I went into my walking meditation, and I'm you know, doing my walking and hating it. And, um, and then all of a sudden it comes to me, you know, is it doubt? And out of that question... It was like a regurgitation of, yes, this is doubt. I'm doubting the teachers. I'm doubting my practice. I'm doubting the whole lineage. I'm doubting this place. I'm doubting everything about all of it. This is doubt. And I stopped in the middle of the walking room and just cried and just allowed it to all come out all that doubt, all that fear, and realized, oh, God, it's just doubt. Oh, thank God, it's just doubt. It's not that big of a deal. That's what's going on. It's just doubt. And that was it. It completely turned the retreat, and I had an amazing retreat uh, from that point on. So these mind states are really tricky. They can mask themselves as something else. We get caught in the storyline. We believe it. And we don't know what to do until we catch it with our mindfulness. Oh, is this doubt? Is this just restlessness? Is this greed? Is this a desire? Is this aversion? Is this just sloth and torpor? Oh, that's it. And when we can hold it in this way, our curiosity, our interests, our fascination takes over. Oh, well, I can be with that. Well, what is this? We become wowed by it. Wow, this is the human conditioning. This is fascinating. We become our own detective or anthropologist and start to discover things about ourselves that is so interesting. And a moment ago, it was devastating. And it just takes a flip of the mind. It's just from one mind state to another. Just our our perspective goes from here to here. And just one, it can be a mind moment. It's not always that quick. Sometimes it takes a a little time really being with it. But sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just seeing really what it is. It takes the power away when we see it clearly when the wisdom can come through. Oh, it's just this. My life isn't over. <laughs> I'm not, you know, an idiot, or I'm, I'm not hopeless. This is just this. So this is where the curiosity and the fascination can come in. It can also uh, bring in the humor. Uh, some, somebody in one of the groups uh, spoke about their mind state today and just how funny it was when she really saw it. Just, you know, how ridiculous our minds can be. We'll have a whole drama going on, and it might not even be our own lives that, it, that it's about, but we get so sucked up into it. And then when we see it, oh, it's just my mind. Oh, this isn't real at all. 
It's funny. It's really silly. It's not personal. It's not personal. None of this is personal. It feels really personal when we're stuck in it, when we're entangled with it. Uh, the, the, the negative stuff and the positive stuff, when everything's going well, who's the first to just be like, hey, I'm awesome. I'm doing this. I'm going to do this for the rest of the retreat. This is it. This is all I need. You know, we make it very personal. Like we're that much in charge. It is not personal. Now, it's not just happening to us either. There are causes and conditions that bring us to this moment and to each moment. And the more we can practice in this way, in this way where we can rest into this, this is what's happening, this moment is here, this is what's being known, the more we can become interested in it. And then finally, the more we can bring kindness to all of these moments, a kindness, uh, a gentleness, a tenderness to the moment, when we're able to practice in this way and see clearly, we are creating the causes and conditions that will then bloom in future moments. We have uh, more that we've banked <laughs> in, our, in our mind and in our heart to be able to actually respond to the moment in a more appropriate way, in a wiser, compassionate way. So life isn't just happening to us. And it's not personal. And we aren't in that much control. And we are cultivating something here that follows us through our life. So all of it is true. So lastly, I I do want to say a little bit more about kindness. James led us through that beautiful metta this afternoon. And he talked about metta as being um, the practice of loving kindness, or maybe just kindness. Another way of thinking of it is as a a friendliness. This is gentle friendliness. I bet we all know how to be friendly towards somebody. Maybe we don't think of ourselves as the friendliest person. But we all know how to be friendly. We don't really always know how to be friendly to ourselves, though. And maybe certainly don't always know how to be friendly to the variety of mind states that we experience. So this, too, is something that we're cultivating as we're practicing our mindfulness. The ability to stay with the difficulty requires kindness. It requires uh, a friendliness, a compassion to come through in order to stay with it. Otherwise, it would be cruel to just stay with it in that dry, maybe almost robotic way. The heart must be engaged to really stay engaged, to keep the mind steady, 
requires the kindness. And we can do this in many different ways. Sometimes it's natural. It's easy. You know, we're going for a walk and we see the turkeys. And we stop. And we look. And we feel, oh, those funny little birds. And our heart opens. And there's just the natural kindness that comes with the presence, with the mindfulness. You don't have to try. It's right there, right? Or we see an interaction, let's say, with one of the cooks uh, and a yogi that's really sweet, you know, and uh, maybe they're, they're helping them out in some way and um, you can tell that it was really meaningful. And you see that interaction and the heart just goes, oh, there's a feeling of rest in that moment, a feeling of uh, peacefulness and connection and happiness. A little bit of joy comes through and the heart just opens with that mindfulness, that presence. And then there's other moments <laughs> that aren't full with joy or happiness. They're filled with all the other stuff that I've already mentioned. The difficulties, the dukkha. We've mentioned the word dukkha a few times. Dukkha uh, is the word in Pali for suffering or unsatisfactoriness. Things are just not quite right. I like the word dukkha. It sounds like what it is. Dukkha. (laughs) When we get stuck in the dukkha, what do we do? How do we keep our hearts open? When I say that, and even when James says it, we're not talking about like, you know, we're going to meet our difficulties with this, you know, wide open heart and uh, an explosion of happiness no matter what we encounter. We're talking about this little space that we're creating of friendliness. So meeting the difficulty, seeing it for what it is. So it might mean um, you're sitting with a lot of anger. I remember a retreat where I sat with anger for a good maybe three or four days um, and was um, very interested in it, very open, but it was really hard. It was very strong. Uh, emotion. And so I would sit there and we can all try this. I'm not saying you have to bring up anger, but we can try this with whatever state you're in right now. Just taking a hand and putting it to your heart. And I sat like this for about four days, just feeling uh, that connection with my hand on my chest. And it was meant to be a touch of um, compassion. So feeling my own compassion for myself or compassion for the mind state of anger and also letting it be a symbol of I'm here. I'm going to stay with this. I'm going to stay steady with this. Breathing into the hand Breathing into the heart. And acknowledging, for me it was anger. This is anger being known. 
For you, it might be something else. This is being known. I'm knowing this right now. I'm allowing it to be here. I'm allowing myself to be present with it, but it's hard. And acknowledging the difficulty that might be there. This is really hard. This is hard. And it's just anger. It's just this mind state. And feeling the strength of wisdom and compassion that might be, might be available to me or might just be floating in the universe. It's just something that's bigger than this angry peace that is arising in this body right now or was at that time. And then every now and then dropping in uh, a phrase of compassion, especially when it would get really strong. You know, sometimes these, these states, they, it's almost like they pulsate. So um, it'll feel okay for a moment. I can totally do this. And then just with that little permission, it just gets uh, a little bigger, tests your ability, right? And so in those moments, uh, may my heart stay open to this difficulty. May I stay present and kind to myself. Uh, Noah Levine has his phrase, uh, I love you, keep going. I love you, keep going. I love you, keep going. Sometimes that's enough to just stay there with it. We'll be practicing a number of uh, the heart practices, or at least a variety of the metta practice. We'll see. But um, we'll share with you other ways to cultivate this kindness. But just sometimes that simple act of just, oh, honey, this is hard. It's okay. Keep going. Keep going. Stay with it. And then when it's too hard, it is too hard. Uh, Continue to be kind with yourself. Go take yourself for a walk. Uh, Go take yourself to get some tea and have a nice cup of tea with yourself. Um, Go cry into your pillow. Go um, to the top of the hill and and yell out at, you know, whatever it is that uh, feels like you need to talk to. You can find a way to still be kind, and yet allow for the space that you need. You know, these aren't, those aren't breaks, you know, or, or cheating, or, you know, you're not, you're not uh, somehow coming out of retreat by doing those things. You're caring for yourself. You're responding appropriately and with kindness towards yourself. There's a lot of presence in that. There's a lot of wisdom in that. So these are all options. These are all possibilities. Maybe I'll just end by saying that when we can add just a little bit of kindness to our moments, 
It really, it, it opens the possibility. Just the smallest amount of kindness. It opens the possibility for future holding of real difficulty. Each moment of kindness that we drop in, uh, we're, we're strengthening our mind and our heart so that when we are needing it the most, it becomes available. We know how to access it. It'll be right there. And it's through that kindness, that interest, fascination, through that deep resting around whatever it is that's arising, or that resting into the moment, however you want to phrase it or hold that. That deep resting into this, this is what's being known, this right now. All of this uh, then leads to the opening of insight and wisdom and understanding. So why don't we um, just sit for a moment or two and let the words settle. (laughs) 